Okay, and welcome to the latest episode of Lunchtime Learnings. Absolutely delighted to be joined by Rob Hellstone from the Bold Legal Group. So thank you, Rob, for giving up your time um, this lunchtime and for coming on. Very, very grateful, as I'm sure all the people that are going to be watching and listening now are at future dates. So thank you. So, um, Rob, you've been in the property industry for a little bit, I think. You don't look, you don't look it. 49 years this year. No way, really? June 1974, so. office boy, J.W. Ward and Son, Bristol. Okay, so maybe we'll come back and we'll discuss about J.W. Ward and um, what you learnt. But share everybody what your background is, how you got from there to where you are today and what you do, please. Okay, well, I'll do a potty history of my, my sort of career. Uh, as I say, started in 1974, uh, did 18 months with J.W. Ward. Went into menswear for a year. I'd always had a Saturday job selling menswear. Um, I think that year taught me a lot about selling. I then went back into the conveyancing profession and that helped me uh, create contacts with estate agents and brokers, et cetera, et cetera, that selling experience. So I did 30 years at the coalface, roughly. Um, then in about 2004, 2005, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Housing Act uh, came out and HIPs were beginning to be introduced. I had a look at the, the HIP legislation, Housing Act legislation, and I thought this would be a good way for conveyancers to get their foot through the door first or at the same time as an estate agent. So I set up an action group called HIPAG, not very original, Home Information Pack Action Group, and I had a small article printed in the Law Society Gazette saying anybody who wants to join, let me know. Within about three or four months, 100 firms had contacted me, 100 firms roughly, and said, yeah, we'll join. So I said it's 30, 40, or 50 pound a month, depending on size of firm. So I very quickly had five grand a month coming in. I hadn't given up my conveyancing job, and I suddenly thought, hold on a minute, I better deliver something to these people now. So I quit my job, started going up and down to what was the then Deputy Prime Minister's office when the legislation was being created, et cetera, and immersed myself in, in HIP legislation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thankfully, it wasn't the most complicated of acts, so I understood it pretty pretty quickly. I then got contacted by OEA, OEA Straker, the big legal stationers, 160 odd million pound turnover, and they asked me what it was I wanted to do with hips. Um, and they called me up to London, bit of a dragon's den moment. Um, the six of them, one of me, and I said, look, I want to try and create um, an exchange ready pack, or as exchange ready as you can get a pack by involving the solicitor, the conveyancer on day one, or as soon as possible after day one, as you can. So after a couple of months, they said, okay, we'll put X amount of pounds in a bank account, business bank account, there's your office, rent a car, rent a flat in London, you're now the CEO, uh, you've got a board of directors, let's go. So I drove back down to Exeter, went into Waterstones, bought a book, what a CEO does, because I had absolutely not, no idea what a CEO did. We started producing hips. We produced the basic pack. Um, I called it a QCP, a quick crap pack, because that's what the agent needed to market the property. We then got the conveyancer involved. They looked at the pack and said, right, add this transfer, add this guarantee, add this planning permission. And we turned it into, it was still a QCP. It was a quality conveyancing pack by then. By the time a buyer had been found, the pack was complete. It was nearly exchange ready or exchange ready. And we were beginning to see transaction times improve. Unfortunately, the government uh, decided that HIPS was going to be scrapped after a lot of negativity from, from the industry. Uh, in, in, 
it was fair. Some of the negativity was was genuine and was warranted. But I think the government should have looked at what was going on, suspended HIPS for about six months, and then maybe brought them back in under a different guise. So we made our 12 staff redundant. OEA made me and my wife redundant. I went back down to Devon with my tail between my legs, wondering what to do next. Didn't want to go back to conveyancing, uh, so set up the Bold Group. Now, Bold was supposed to stand, and in fact, still does stand for a bundle of legal documents. So I still wanted to produce a pack, and I still do now, another 15 years on. I realised pretty quickly that the mandatory pack wasn't wanted, so a voluntary pack wouldn't be wanted. So I set up the Bold Group, and I, I, it took me about seven years to get a membership to the Bold Group. But I now update 700 law firms, about 5,000 conveyances on anything and everything that's going on in the property industry, you know, from AML, um, ID frauds, HMLR alerts, the, the, the Building Safety Act, all sorts of stuff. We've got a great online forum. It's a great community. And really, every conveyancer should be part of it. I would say that, wouldn't I? And that's where I'm at at the moment. And I love doing what I'm doing. Um, but it's difficult, difficult times still. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Um, just to come back, because this is all about learnings, um, going back, you said your first job was selling, um, you went, you became a tailor um, and you were selling loads of stuff, if you can remember, going back. So, um, you know, what did you learn about that, firstly? And then it'd be interesting coming back when you said you were became a CEO and obviously you then went from having nothing to look after 12 people. So what were your learnings from those two experiences, please? Well, I think like a lot of kids of my generation, we, we always had jobs of some kind and they probably started at 12, 13 or 14. I started in a greengrocer's when I was about 12 as a Saturday boy. So bagging up the potatoes and all the rest of it and selling them with the other pounds and the scales. Um, so that took me a bit about seven, uh, probably at the early age of about 13 or 14. I always had Saturday jobs as well when I was working, um, mainly in menswear stores, don't know why, I think probably because I could get cheap clothes if I worked in a menswear store, which is great. But I've always wanted to be a lawyer, uh, mainly because of a TV programme called The Main Chance, which is a 769 70s programme with an actor called John Stride. He was a, he was a great lawyer. Um, always won his cases, it was exciting, it was adventurous, always got the girls, etc. So I thought, oh yeah, that's the job for me. But of course, it wasn't really like that in real life, but whatever. So, so that's why I went into the law. Um, I started with wards, uh, I failed all my O-levels at school, I went in as office boy, went to night school to take an O-level, then uh, enrolled on an executive course. I was with wards for about 18 months, um, great company, loved it. But I felt it was a big company, I needed a smaller company and somebody to take me under their wing. So I left for a while, went into menswear full time for a year, which again taught me some selling skills, which you don't see anymore. If you'd come into my store back in the 70s, you'd have been looking at jackets. People don't approach you now, understandably, but I would have said, like, what size are you looking for? Are you just set of, I don't know, 38, 42, whatever? And I said, well, you're looking at the 44s. You know, we might not have your color and your size come over here. And you strike up a conversation and then you sell them a suit, a shirt, a tie, a pair of shoes, cufflinks, the whole caboose, and you make some decent discount. Um, so I absolutely loved that. The problem was on a Saturday, it was a great job, really busy, really exciting. During the week, stock taking, window dressing, not great for an 18 year old boy's street cred being seen in the, in the window dressing a naked dummy. So I decided to go back to the law, but I had those 
people skills, selling skills ingrained in me from that moment onwards. I joined a company in, in Bristol again called David Lees & Co. And basically, um, after two or three years of learning a bit about the conveyancing uh, you know, business trade, whatever you want to call it, I went out, um, introduced myself to all the local estate agents and said, look, my name's Rob Hailstone. I do this, I do that. I'll be on call almost 24-7 if you want. They started sending me work. I worked really hard to make sure it was done quickly, efficiently and professionally. And I got more and more work. And it was as simple as that. And we had, I had a great relationship with my estate agent contacts. We used to meet up for a drink. I used to go and talk to their, their staff and train them a little bit on conveyancing. We had Saturday mornings, um, open days where first time buyers would come in. It was an absolutely fantastic time. Okay. Well, there's loads there that you've shared, which I think is really interesting. One thing you talked about is striking up relationships. And I think one of my main frustrations is when I read on LinkedIn, you've got um, estate agents, you've got conveyancers, you've got solicitors, you've got mortgage brokers. Everybody's blaming everybody else in this process, which is ridiculous because we should all be working together because the most important person in the whole transaction is either the seller or the buyer or both. Um, and it drives me mad at the moment, or, or actually for many years, that everybody can't agree to work together so and build that relationship to make the experience a lot smoother. Um, so in your opinion, what can be done to change that? How can different components, people in the industry, work better together? I think before we sort of try and address that question, let's try and work out, or I've tried to work out what's gone wrong, what's changed from then until now. And I think it almost changed around the 20th, 21st century. Um, back in the day, I would say I had about seven or 10, 12, sorry, seven or 10 main tasks to complete as a conveyancer. So inquiries, searches, title, etc. You look at conveyances now, and I did a little survey recently, and they've got up to 30 main tasks now to carry out. Now, some of them aren't quite as complicated. There's not much um, unregistered land about now, so the titles are a little bit easier some, sometimes. But the sheer number of jobs they've got to do has multiplied um, the difficulty of the, their jobs many times. So they've got more tasks. They're spinning 30 plates. I was spinning about 10. I think that's part of the problem. It's, it's, it's red tape, it's bureaucracy, all that kind of stuff. Some of it is needed, some of it isn't. You know, I didn't have to deal with AML, um, ID, uh, source of funds, uh, Japanese knotweed. And as I said earlier, we now got Building Safety Act causing a bit of a problem. So I think we've got to look at the fact that the job is different. It's far more challenging than it ever was. Um, and I don't think that agents and the public understand that. Um, understandably, perhaps, and they don't cut the conveyances some slack when things take longer than they used to. But if you've got 30 things to do instead of 10, and, and some of them are outside of your control, the speed with which they come back to you, things are going to take longer. And you've got PI pressure from the insurance companies. You've got fees, which are a bit higher now after COVID because the market was busy. And there's lots of pressures uh, on conveyances. I carried out a survey recently and I said, um, are you as happy in your job as you used to be? And 86% said no. Um, and there's going to be a lot, I think, leaving the profession in the next two, three, four, five years, unless something dramatically changes. Okay, so in your opinion, what needs what needs to change? 
Is that the curveball question? No, that's not a curveball question. In fact, if anybody's been listening to me throughout this, I'm probably going to say information up front, hips, not hips. I don't want to bring back hips. Of course, I don't. But I do think that the conveyancer should be instructed on day one, the seller's conveyancer in particular, ideally a purchaser's conveyancer as well when they're looking for a property, um, so that that conveyancer can, can open a file you know, do the AML, ID, source of funds checks, um, and, and take it as far as they want after that. Maybe they'll get the title deed in, get some inquiries in. Some may even go the whole hog and get searches to pass over to the buyer's conveyancer. It, it's a slow burden. People want to do it, but I think agents are wary of saying to their sellers, I'll go and instruct a conveyancer on day one because the conveyancer will probably charge them something. I'm not sure what that will be. I did a survey. It was anything from £50 up to 500 depending on who the conveyancer was. Um, and the seller might say to that agent, well, you want money up front. The agent down the road doesn't, so I'm going to go to him. That's why agents are reluctant, I think. But what we have coming down the line are the new material information changes coming from uh, trading standards. Uh, and estate agents and the portals will need already need to put more information on the listings. And that's going to increase in the next, I don't know, three to six months when phases B and C of the three-phase um, introduction of the uh, new material information changes come in. In B and C, as far as I'm aware at the moment, you'll have to put in things like um, the, the broadband width, uh, the mobile phone coverage. When you get to C, it will probably include restrictive covenants, easements, possibly something on building safety. And I think that might force conveyances and agents to actually work together on day one, even though they're not doing it now voluntarily. That's what I'm hoping anyway. Okay, well, look, I agree 100% with you about being exchange ready. And that's something I talk about on my training. And um, I've done a bit of work with um, Peter Ambrose at the partnership and Tony um, at AV Relo where um, they've given me, so anybody who's watching or listening, if you want this, I've got um, some information as to what questions you should be asking your solicitor or conveyancer to see whether they can actually be prepared and ready and stuff like that. I think there's about 10 questions there. And also actually what you need to do to prepare to get ready. And one of the things is, I think people are talking now about a digital logbook. And actually, when you sell a property, you put everything in there. So when you come to sell again, it's going to make it considerably easier um, and save time. You've just taken the words out of my mouth, Steve. I was going to say what we need to do is top and tail um, the experience. So at the beginning, you have a pack. And at the end of it, you have a property logbook, which you then bring back next time it's sold. And you've got the beginning of a new pack. Um, ideally, that logbook would have been added to during the course of the, the ownership of the property. But if not, you just add new documents to it when you put it back on the market and it revolves around like, like that. Absolute pure logic. Okay. So what's stopping everybody doing it then? <laughs> I think it's changed, isn't it? You know, we've got a culture whereby um, the systems and processes we've had, they've been there, we have been there for a long time. It's, it's, we need some early movers. We need those who are prepared to take a chance, take a risk. Um, lawyers are, by their very nature, cautious people, understandably. They're paid to be cautious. Estate agents are um, also, I guess, cautious about their income and, and, and losing a potential seller. 
So we need this. We need this tipping point. We need, and unless it's mandation and legislation again, which I don't think it will be at the moment, we need something else. And I am hanging my hat now on the fact that material information, trading standards, next three to six months, the good agents, the good competitors will talk to each other and they will start working together and producing the, these packs. Okay. Do you think with the way the market is, both sellers and buyers should have home buyer insurance? Do you mean legal insurance? Um, yeah, so just in case the sale falls through, has a bad survey, has bad legal title, is that something that's going to add value and make a difference um, and give some certainty or some form of reservation agreement? I think if, 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 if the seller in particular is cautious about spending, you know, maybe 50, 100, 200, 250 pounds up front, they could look into that. I'm not sure what products are out there at the moment they're available but there are one or two um uh, reservation agreements um yeah that's another issue um they were being looked at and were going to be trialed by the government i think prior to covid but that seems to have been dropped reservation agreements lockout agreements call you what call them what you want they have been around for a while they're not used very often if at all there is of course a company out there called Brazil who use them and they're doing reasonably well, I think. So if anybody's interested in, in a reservation agreement, have a look at Gazeel. I have no commercial times with Gazeel. Um, I think they'd be difficult to bring in mainstream at the moment. But if, if Gazeel can prove they can work, maybe they will be brought in uh, mainstream in the future. 100%. 100%. So just from an agent's point of view, as an agent, um, and I've got a sale going through, how frequently does a solicitor conveyancer want to be spoken to? Especially, because I'm just going back from my time and you mentioned something about you went in and you trained um, estate agents. So that's something I want to come back to. But I remember going into a solicitor's office and their files were from here to the ceiling. And if you imagine, you know, there's uh, two agents on it, you've got the conveyancer, You've got loads of people calling that solicitor. They've got 30, 40, 50, 60 files there. Um, so to help agents, is there a better time they should be calling? Will conveyances, are conveyances happy to give out their mobile numbers? Because for me, having an exchange is very easy. It's just a phone call and that's it and having a file by you. Yeah, I mean, I, I used to carry a very heavy file load um, and I would struggle even back in the day with, with interruptions throughout the day. I used to start work at four or five, six o'clock, get the post, get the DX, do some proper conveyancing work up till nine o'clock, open the office doors, uh, get open the phone lines, uh, um, talk to people, see clients, talk to estate agents throughout the day, shut the doors, switch the phone lines off at five, five thirty, do another couple of hours work and do another 10 hours on a weekend. I was doing a 70 or 80 hour a week. It was ridiculous. Things haven't changed. They're exactly the same then. One of the great ways I used to um, update one of my best estate agent contacts is on my way home on every Friday, I take six or 10 files with me to his office. I buy a six pack of beer. We go in, we go to the files. We have a few cans of beer. And it, um, usually I go straight home, but sometimes I go to the pub. He was updated. I was happy. You can't do that now. That's, that's a different era. Well, you could do it, I guess, um, but it's different times now. And I think part of the problem is my relationships were personal. They were face to face. These people often became my friends. I think it's different now because a lot of relationships are formed online. You don't actually meet the people unless you do a Zoom call, and that's not really meeting them. 
So I would say to, to agents and conveyances, if you're within a five or 10 mile radius or even more of each other, meet up once in a while, see the actual whites of your eyes in real life. You'll find you really do get on them, I think, and work out, you can then work out good ways of working. As far as your question about when should you phone a, a conveyancer, well, I think try and agree with the conveyancer when is the best time for them and for the estate agent, but certainly not on a Friday morning um, when your completions are, are beginning to take place. Um, and if you do phone up, make sure you've got a, the right sense of question. Agents used to phone me and say, is the search back? And I say, well, which search? They didn't know there was more than one search. So educate yourself a little bit before you start questioning the conveyancer maybe on the basics of the conveyancing process. Okay, so coming back to what you said um, quite a long time ago, you said on a Saturday you went in and you did some training, you know, which is great. So my question for anybody watching this is one, have you actually got any of your local solicitors conveyancing in to give you or your colleagues training anyway? Because if you don't, you're missing a trick there because um, that's going to definitely help you. You know, and I think you're 100% right, Rob, about the education that um, a lot of agents don't know what searches are. Um, it'd be interesting if we put an online quiz on how many people will get the answers right, um, especially more people that have just started. So for me, there's an education there. And also videos now. You know, I'm sure loads of solicitors will get on the phone and do a video similar to what we're doing now with agents and educate potential buyers, potential sellers. You know, what does it take to be exchange ready? What does it take to be buyer ready? You know, and that's going to make a massive, massive difference to people because you're helping them. You're making a difference. And can I just add one other point before it goes from my mind yeah. is... How would you feel about this? Because there's a blame game. There's a blame culture. I'm not sure who's right, who's wrong. I can't get hold of this solicitor. I can't get hold of that solicitor. Can't get hold of a buyer. Why don't people now get on Zoom like this and literally just go through everything and let's write, yes, we need this point, this point, this point, and just do it. What's stopping people doing that? It's got to be easier now with all this technology, surely. And you could even have a beer in each office as well and do it like I used to, but just do it online. I quite agree. Yeah. Have you seen my animation video I put together recently? I have, but it would be great to share it on the post if you can. And yeah, but, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll let you have it. Get a link to it. It's only ninety seconds, but it, in a very simple way, it explains the conveyancing process and how tricky and complex it can be in, in a fun way. Okay. Brilliant. Well, that will that will make a massive, massive difference. So thank you. We'll get that out there and we'll share it. Um, just on the flip side, we've been talking about buyers being exchange ready. Uh, sorry, sellers being exchange ready. Um, what can one do to educate buyers to be buyer ready? Well, it is an education process, uh, really, isn't it? And until you find a property to buy, you don't really think about um, instructing a conveyancer. But buyers obviously need to think, particularly about their financial situation. Have they got a deposit? How much is that deposit? Where is it? Can it be accessed quickly? Does it come from a dubious source? And I don't mean a, a criminal source, but is it a gift from your parents or is it a win at the casino? All those things will be, need to be explained to your conveyancer. So think about that up front. Um, and yeah, get your mortgage agreed in principle before you really make an offer if you can. 
and you've got more chance of that offer being accepted. And I think the moment that offer is accepted, get on the phone to your conveyancer, or if you have a friendly conveyancer or a family conveyancer, get on the phone before, let them open a file so they're uh, a week or two ahead of the game as well. Okay, brilliant. Now, I know you've got um, National Conveyancing Week coming up, I believe, in March. Um, what is all that about, please? Well, we had our first annual conference last year in June up in a, a university in Regent's Park. And sort of halfway through the day, I thought, I don't know, it would be a good idea. Let's have a National Conveyancing Week. So at the end of the conference, I said to my audience, I'm having a National Conveyancing Week next year. I hadn't really thought it through, uh, like most things. But I've had time to think it through now. We're setting it up. The week will run uh, from the 20th March uh, onwards to, to the end of the week. We're going to have a number of online events, webinars, panel discussions, recordings, TED Talks from all sorts of people. Um, it will cover a, a range of topics. Um, if you're a conveyancer, you might want to log in and watch Sorry, watch one or two. If you're a cult, you might want to watch something else. Head of practice might want something else. If you're worried about your well-being, there'll be something about health and well-being. It's a complete mix. We're not quite there yet. We will be there by the 20th of March. I've got a lot of work to do with David Opie of today's conveyancer, who's helping me, thank goodness. Um, I'm really excited about it. And it's to help conveyancers, to help raise their, their professional image in the eyes of the public and estate agents, and hopefully help the, the, the public and estate agents understand what a difficult job they've got, why they do it and sometimes why it does take a bit of time and just break these barriers down and make it a bit more accessible for everybody okay lovely you also discuss that you've got the bold legal forum as well um so again what's that all about please and well, can people, people get involved sorry i don't know if everybody knows but i i work in a signal box there's a train going past right now so i didn't quite cast that last question yeah. Okay, so um, you've also got a forum, um, yeah. an online forum. I'm not sure I understand. Oh, even Siri's getting involved now. Um, doesn't understand about your online forum. So, okay. um, but so we've got trains, we've got Siri. It's all happening here this afternoon. Well, I think we've got the budgie here, but let's not go there. It's all right. I've got my cockatiel as well, and that's making <laughs> the racket. So, um, so coming back, you've got your forum. Um, which I believe is mainly um, conveyancers that ask questions to help people. I know you've got a couple of agents on there. Um, what's that about? And can agents, brokers, conveyancers, how do they get involved? Well, I've actually got um, two online forums. My, my main job is producing a bulletin every week and, and sending it to my member firms. But two years ago, I set up an online forum for the members. So they now post questions. Uh, got a problem with a deed of gift, deed of variation, whatever it might be, stamp duty problem. They post the question. Um, and then within, usually within an hour or two, somebody will come back and say, I had the same problem last week. This is how I dealt with it. I'll send the precedent to Rob. He'll send it on to you or an SDLT expert will come in or somebody from the land registry will come in and say, look, uh, give us a call, Rob. We'll try and sort this one out for you, for your member firm. It's a fantastic resource. I think uh, um, at last count, we had 910, excuse me, conveyances um, in there. I want to hit the thousand mark as soon as possible. It's a 24-7 thing. And it amazes me how many questions are posted each day that are different. And that, I think, underlines the complexity of conveyancing and land law. So that's the BLG forum for members. I also have another forum for conveyances and estate agents, which hasn't really taken off yet. 
we've got about two or three hundred people in there, mainly conveyances. I need more agents, and I want them to be able to post questions and answer questions about, you know, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why does it take so long? Why do you charge so much? Whatever it might be. So anybody who wants to join the joint forum, the state agent broker, anybody who's a non-conveyancer, even maybe even the public, join the forum. Let me know. Okay, how do they do that, please? Just email me, um, rh at boldgroup, boldgroup.co.uk. Brilliant. So I want to thank you so much for giving up your time. And um, I don't know what's going to happen with those trains with the signal signal man not um, doing the signal. So hopefully we're not going to hear many crashes. Right, the, but... the buggy took over. <laughs> but I'm really grateful for your time. Um, you've got Rob's details. So any questions, give Rob a call. Um, there's some really useful stuff that you've given to people to help people to understand actually a bit more what conveyances do and also how they can be helped. And hopefully it's shared some ideas with you, how you can get um, exchange ready, how you can get buyer ready as well. So thank you everybody for watching and listening today. And we look forward to catching up with you very soon. Thanks very Thanks much. Very much. Yeah, thank you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Grateful for your time.